This novel and its recording are both copyright by Alessandro Chima and Candlelight Stories, Inc., available at candlelightstories.com. A Candlelight Stories audio production. Pirate Jack by Alessandro Chima Chapter 20. Helicopters The night passed slowly. I got out of bed many times to pace back and forth in front of my window, always looking out over the cove toward the sea. It had been just a few hours since I'd been out there in the longboat. My failure kept me running the whole story through my head over and over. The plan would have worked if it had not been for Finley. The weight of my story was starting to crush my spirit. It seemed like much too big a secret to keep from my father. But how could I ever tell him in a way that he would believe? There was nothing in my story that offered any proof it actually happened. He would enjoy it as something from my active imagination, and nothing would ever convince him it happened to me. I climbed back in bed and tried to sleep. When I woke, the room was rumbling with the noise of the bulldozers out front. I went to the window and saw them starting to push along the fence to the left behind where the boathouse had stood. The workers had cut a large opening into the trees and were busy chopping up the pine trunks and loading the sections onto long, flat trucks. My stomach churned at the sight of our place surrounded by the bulldozer crew. I wanted to scream out the window at them. If one of the muskets from the galleon had been in my hands, I surely would have fired it. I turned away from the window and took off the clothes that were tar-stained and salty from the sea. I showered slowly, smelling the coffee my father was making himself downstairs. The smell made me want to rush down and tell him everything. I kept doing my normal morning things, realizing that it was only the morning after I had first thrown the bottle into the sea and lost the skiff in the storm. It had seemed like days with the pirates. I dressed and went downstairs to the kitchen. My father was sitting at the table, looking through the open door at the pile of charred wood across the yard. I could see the yellow bulldozers churning the dirt just beyond our fence. Morning, Jack, my father said quietly, glancing at me, then shifting his eyes back out the door. Hi, Dad. It's really loud today. Yeah. They've got to make it look like they're really doing something out there. I went to the counter and made myself a bowl of cereal and milk. Then I sat down at the table and felt very sad because I had no good news for him. He turned and looked at me. You must have got lots of sun yesterday. Your face is burned, he said. Uh, yeah, I think I did. Digging through the boathouse. My father sipped his coffee and stared out the door again. I finished my cereal in silence, wanting so badly to just burst out with all I had been through. Knowing I could not tell him anything that would sound real made my throat tighten up and I fought back tears. Jack, I'm sorry, I can't talk a lot now. It's okay, Dad. I'm sad, too. He looked at me with a soft smile that made us a team. I got up and patted his shoulder as I stepped out onto the back porch and smelled the ashes on the morning air. It's funny, I said over my shoulder. The burnt almost smells good. It was some fine wood in there, he said with a gentle laugh. I leaned over the porch rail and looked up the hill at the bulldozers. One of them stopped near the fence. The driver pushed his orange helmet back on his head and looked into the yard. He stood up and turned, looking past the burnt woodpile. 
Another bulldozer bounced up over the lumpy dirt and stopped right next to the first one, its big scarred blade touching our fence. The driver pulled himself up behind the control levers and looked right into our yard. My arms tensed with fear. I thought they were getting ready to plow down our fence and drive right through. Then I looked farther around toward our gate and saw other workers cutting off their buzz saws and walking toward the fence. One of them pointed toward the water. I turned, and a scream flew out of me as my hands went to my face. I heard my father's chair fall back on the floor when he jumped up and ran out to me. Good grief! he cried when he saw the water. Right straight out over the pier, some ways out where the water got deep, floated the great Spanish galleon. Dad! I don't believe it! It can't be happening! Jack! It's a galleon! my father said with wonder. I know! That ship! It's Jameson! I blurted. Who? Captain Jameson! Dad, I've been on it! I... Nothing sounded sensible enough to say, so I stopped and just stared at the ship. Where's the skiff? he asked. Gone! It's gone! I cried. What? We didn't even have any wind last night! No! Dad, it's gone! It sank! What's going on, Jack? I'll tell you. I swear, Dad. I jumped off the porch and ran down the hill toward the pier. Jack, wait! Where are you going? We have to go on board, I called back as I ran onto the pier. Wait! I glanced back and saw my father running down the hill after me. I leaped right off the end of the pier, splashed into the water, and swam for the galleon. Moments later, he dove in after me. I swam as fast as I could through the calm water, wanting more than anything to get aboard the ship. Would Jameson and the others be alive? The thought that they might have come after me for unkind purposes never slowed me down. I just wanted to see if they were on the galleon. Maybe my father would believe the story after all. How could anyone deny the fact of a big galleon anchored off our beach? Jack! Stop! He called behind me. After several minutes of hard swimming, I came up against the hull and swam around looking for a way up. I had to settle for hauling myself up the anchor cable. When I got up to the rail, I looked down at my father. Jack, my God! What's wrong with you? Get off there! No, Dad, it's come back for me. I'll lower you a rope. I scrambled on deck and went down to the waist of the ship where I found a good rope and dropped it over the side. He climbed up awkwardly and I helped him over the rail. Wow, she's a beauty, he gasped as he looked up at the rigging. But Jack, whose ship is it? Captain Jameson's, I replied. Come on! I started aft toward the quarter-deck. Where are you going? Captain's cabin. He followed me and let me open the door and head down the companionway toward the last cabin. I don't know about this, Jack, he said nervously. I opened the cabin door and found no one inside. Come on in, Dad. He came in and looked around the cabin. He saw the desk and went over to it. Look at this chart. My God, it must be circa 1700. Then he froze and stared at the right side of the desk. This can't be happening, he exclaimed. I went over and saw a letter written in such fine handwriting that I could not believe it came from the hand of a pirate. Dear Jack, by the heavens and all the coal in Wales, I have never yet seen pirate nor sailor that was a match for thy own self, Jack. The villainous knave Finley died a death most well deserved at thy capable hand. Let us pray the denizens of the deep are supping upon his carcass even at this moment. Surely, in our merriment and repose upon the quarter-deck, we would never have seen Finley's plot 
encroaching upon our lives. As for thy connivance and secret efforts to remove gold from this ship, well, all I can say to thee is next time steal more. Thou art the finest pirate I ever knew, but thou art the poorest as well. I thank thee for my life, as do Morgan, Weasel, and Dan. Having met at sea some able and hearty comrades from younger years, who tragically lost their captain during a rough boarding, I have taken command of their ship and proceed on a southwest course to begin our harassment of the Spanish main. This year, the Spanish ships are slower and more poorly defended than ever in the history of that pestilent empire. We all felt that this letter should find its way into thy hand in a grand and worthy manner. Therefore, we have sent it along in the galleon. After using the scroll thou so kindly left, we made the acquaintance of a certain boatman. This man's general mood seemed somewhat elevated when we presented him with the opportunity to deliver a galleon to thee. Methinks he sailed it off into the dark whilst he sang behind the wheel. Enjoy thy best fortune, Captain Jameson. My father looked at me in confusion. Dad, it's a long story. I want to hear it. I promise I'll tell you everything. I folded the letter and put it in my pocket. At that moment, I heard the whumping of a helicopter. Oh, boy, my father groaned. Now we have some explaining to do. We climbed on deck quickly and saw three helicopters swooping around the galleon in big circles. They had cameras hanging off them, and I could see the television station logos painted on their sides in big yellow letters, WNXR, WQKZ, and WBNR. Dad! We're on TV! I shouted, waving at the helicopters. Oh, dear. Don't worry. Let me do the talking. You better believe I will. Come up on the quarter deck, Dad. We climbed up and stood by the rail, watching the helicopters swarm in from all directions, until there were eight. I guess everyone was watching TV, because within a few minutes, speedboats were streaking across the cove. We soon had a flotilla of all sorts of boats bobbing on the water around us. Entire families stood on their bows and waved. They snapped pictures of us and waved flags. One speedboat bumped up against the galleon, and a woman called up, This is Maxine Goldwater of WNXR. Can I come up there? I dropped a rope ladder over the side so she could climb up. As my father gave her a hand over the rail, I saw the golden hair pulled back and the pretty face with green eyes that matched perfectly with the green stones in her silver earrings. This was the face I had watched so many times when hurricanes had struck. There she'd be in her bright red parka, stepping through the wreckage of a neighborhood to interview people who were digging up things like photo albums and silver forks. The people always talked to her and tried to smile, even though they felt terrible. She never asked about how they felt, because she already knew. She was a real star throughout the state, and had even been said to be close to getting married to a senator from Washington. My father lowered her gently onto the deck, and she smiled, as if this was the best place she could think of being. "'How's about an interview?' she said, winking at me. "'What should we say?' I asked. She patted my shoulder softly. "'Just say whatever pops into your head. I know it'll be good.' When the cameraman climbed aboard, she stood by the mainmast with her microphone and talked to the camera. We are aboard the mysterious sailing ship that is anchored in South Cove. I am talking with the two people found on board. She turned to my father and asked, Sir, is this your ship? 
He blinked and looked down at me. Yeah, I blurted. We built it. The camera swung down to me, and Maxine Goldwater leaned in close. And what is it for? It's just awesome. We made it for... for everyone, I answered. For everyone? You mean for the city? Yeah! It's a Spanish galleon. We're boat builders, and we just thought it would be a good thing to have around for tourists, maybe. Young man, do you mean that you and your father have built a giant galleon in all its glory for the city as a tourist attraction? She stuck the microphone right up close to me. Sure! Everyone will like coming aboard a ship like this. We might even put a hot dog stand in it. Why, that sounds like an excellent idea. She straightened up and looked into the camera. There you have it, folks. A grand Spanish galleon built by two local boat builders as an act of incredible generosity to their city. She made a huge smile for the camera. Another reporter climbed aboard and shouted, WQRX-TV, can you tell us why this boat is here? Then another reporter screamed, Could you show us how this thing is built? They were turning into a crowd, and they shouted many questions at us. I tried to answer almost all of them. Mr. Spencer, one of them yelled, Did you design this ship yourself? He sure did, I answered for him. Mr. Spencer, where did all the wood come from? Uh, my father mumbled, from chopped down trees. So this ship is recycled? Sure, I said. Nothing went to waste in her construction. It's been a big secret, you see. The crowd was filling the deck. The bright lights got hot on my face and my father was sweating. I did almost all the talking to all the reporters and took them below to show them everything except the treasure, of course. Jameson had cleaned that out very carefully. Later, a special boat arrived and it brought Mayor Williams. He climbed aboard with six assistants and stood by the rail, snapping his head around to show people his smile. He was short and had a ring of white hair around his bald head. He turned and walked straight through the crowd to shake my father's hand. Mr. Spencer, I just wanted to say what a fine spectacle this all is along our shore. Thank you, Mayor Williams, my father replied. Yes, sir, and never have I seen a finer boat, Mr. Spencer. What a bit of handiwork this is. I've heard what your boy said on TV and want to offer you as much support as this good city can give you. Mayor Williams got between my father and me, held us around our shoulders, and beamed proudly at all the cameras. The helicopters hovered in a clump, pointing their cameras down at us. The whole state must have been watching, maybe even the whole country. Ladies and gentlemen, Mayor Williams said, this here is an achievement that stands for the best America has to offer. The workmanship, the pride, the civic-mindedness of ordinary citizens with extraordinary sense of community. I want to say a big thank you to the Spencers for giving our city a day to remember. Everyone clapped and cheered. The boats surrounding the galleon tooted their horns. My father and I looked at each other like we just got away with a bank robbery. Mayor Williams wanted to go see our house. So Dad and I got into his boat with all his assistants and motored over to the pier. The mayor walked along the planks holding us both by our arms, laughing and saying how charming a spot it really was. Then he stopped and asked what had burned down in our yard. That's our boathouse where we made all our boats, my father told him. Ah, see, the mayor said, his brow wrinkled in deep thought. And it just burned up like that? He snapped his fingers with a great show. Yes, just yesterday. Shame. Sure is a shame. Well, not to worry, Mr. Spencer. I think I've just a solution to this little problem. He led us up to the cinder pile. Be needing a good place to work and all, he said, prodding a cinder with his foot. Yes, sir. Need to rebuild. 
I got just a man for the job, Mr. Spencer. My old friend, Tony Murtaugh. Murtaugh? I wanted to grab the mayor's arm and tell him what the awful man did. To tell him Murtaugh burned down the boathouse and that those were his bulldozers plowing up the land around us. But I didn't say it. The mayor kept going on about how grand a boathouse would be built for us and that the galleon would become the best part of the new center being built on the water beyond the marsh. He announced that my father would be the official shipbuilder of the city and would be in charge of everything that needed to be done with the galleon. He said he knew Murtaugh would be more than happy to work with such a fine pillar of the community and would give us everything we needed to create a real tourist attraction. Maxine Goldwater was talking to the camera nearby. From the ashes of a humble boat shop, she said, rise the towering masts of a Spanish galleon, a grand gift to the city for all to enjoy. She beamed and then showed the cameraman where to film the burned wood. I looked up the hill at the bulldozers and saw the workmen backing away from our fence. The drivers climbed back into their bulldozers and the others picked up shovels and buzz saws. A black SUV roared out of the woods and skidded to a stop in a cloud of red dust. The door opened, and Murtaugh climbed out. He stood there, staring angrily at the galleon with his fists on his hips, while he chewed a cigar. He kicked a rock at one of his workers and walked toward the gate. "'Somebody gonna let me in?' he shouted, pounding on the fence. "'Somebody gonna let Anthony Murtaugh inside this here property?' Mayor Williams spun around and smiled cheerfully at Murtaugh. Tony, come on down and have a look at what the Spencers have done. Murtaugh yanked the gate open and barreled down the hill. My father started walking toward him, his hand raised to stop him from coming any further. How do, Mr. Spencer? Murtaugh grunted as he dodged round my father and headed for the mayor. Angus! Angus Williams! What is somebody going to tell me to explain what I'm seeing out on the water? My father came up behind him and touched his shoulder. Mr. Murtaugh, I want you off my property. Huh? I'm talking to the mayor, Mr. Spencer, if you don't mind. Murtaugh pulled the cigar from his mouth and flicked it into the ashes of the boathouse. Then he grabbed Mayor William's elbow and dragged him down the hill. The mayor ran alongside Murtaugh right out to the end of the pier. Murtaugh jabbed his finger out at the galleon and screamed at Mayor Williams, What are you thinking, putting a thing like that out there on the water to interfere with my construction? What is your little mind thinking? Tony, Mayor Williams said with a smile, Don't be uncivil. It's a galleon and Spence has been kind enough to give it to the city. Just think what kind of attraction it'll be in a new boat center. These people are thorn in my side, Angus. A thorn stuck in my side. He grabbed the side of his stomach and gave the mayor a pained look. Well, Tony, I'm sure any differences can be worked out just fine if we all give it a try. My father and I walked down to the pier and watched the two men argue. Murtaugh poked the mayor with his finger as he spoke. I say we clear everyone out of here, Angus. Get rid of this heap of driftwood that's washed into the cove and get back to the plan. The plan. He was all red in the face and puffing. Tony, I see your point, but don't you see what an opportunity is here for all of us? It's a galleon, a historical attraction for the boat center that'll bring visitors each and every day. They're just a couple of lying paupers who can't keep up on their payments, so they gotta get on out and let somebody make something useful out of this site. Oh, Mr. Murtaugh, Mr. Murtaugh, 
a woman's voice called from up the hill. We all turned. It was Maxine Goldwater. She was standing at our gate with two red and yellow cans. She walked cheerfully down the hill, with her cameraman following close behind. Mr. Murtaugh, she cried cheerfully. Are these used for fueling your bulldozers? She held the cans up. They were gasoline cans. Murtaugh stared at her with his mouth wide open. He took a step back from the mayor. He squinted up the hill at his workers. His chest rose, and he cleared his throat loudly. It's funny, Maxine Goldwater said. I found these under some rags in one of the trucks. Don't you think they should be full? Now, now, listen here, Miss Goldwater, Murtaugh growled. I don't know what two cans of gasoline had to do with a galleon sitting out in South Cove. She came down onto the pier and put the cans down. Then she turned to the camera and lifted her microphone. One of the biggest land developers in the state is here, with Mayor Williams surveying the remarkable scene out on the water. His name is Anthony Murtaugh. She walked along the pier until she was a few feet from him. Mr. Murtaugh, how does it feel to have competition for the attention of the entire state? She stuck the microphone out at him. Murtaugh twisted his mouth into a smile. He looked at her, then at the mayor. He cleared his throat again and hitched up his pants. Well, I, I see that these Spencers have pulled, ha have created a great, um, monument to the maritime tradition. And, uh, they've done about the finest job of it I could imagine. He thumped the mayor on the back and tried to dart along the pier toward the hill. His feet hit one of the gasoline cans and sent it clattering across the wood. Excuse me now, Ms. Goldwater, I got business to attend to in town. He lumbered up the hill and ran through the gate. I saw him running around kicking up dirt and waving frantically at the bulldozers. The drivers started up the motors and the workmen jumped into their trucks. Murtaugh climbed into his SUV. The engine roared, the tires spun in the dirt, and he drove away. Mayor Williams walked up to us and blew his breath out in relief. Tony's a hothead, isn't he? My father nodded. Now listen, Mr. Spencer. I'm going to want to be getting Tony's boys in here tomorrow morning so they can get started putting up your boathouse again. Get it like it was, but better. How about that? I thank you, Mayor Williams. I just don't know what to say. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Everything's taken care of. It's not every day a city gets a galleon built for it. No, I don't suppose it happens often. He snuck a look at me, and I saw his eyes dancing. I'll make sure the permits are in order, Mr. Spencer, and leave you to tell Tony's boys just how you want it built. Then when you all get back in operation, I expect you'll be wanting to turn your attention to building the finest Spanish galleon maritime attraction in the United States. Yes, of course we will. Yes, Mayor Williams, my father said with excitement. While they were talking about this stuff, I heard the phone ring four times in the house. My father was too polite to run in and get it, so he let the answering machine pick up. Mayor Williams started waving and bellowing up the hill at the bulldozers as they started driving away. Hey! Hey, y'all! 
he called, waving both arms over his head. Now, boys, why don't you pretty up this here landscape round Spencer's place a bit? They gonna need a nice smooth road laid in. Tell Tony I said it's okay now, will you? The bulldozers made a lot of noise as they started putting things back in order around our fence. We walked the mayor onto the pier and helped him into his boat. He shook my father's hand in a real friendly way. Mr. Spencer, I'll have the harbor boys come out and work with you on getting that galleon to a safe place. And remember, you the skipper. Got that? Absolutely, Mayor Williams. Angus, call me Angus. Thank you, Angus. You sure are welcome. See you at the opening ceremony. The mayor's boat roared off as he waved cheerfully over the stern. The news helicopter circled around like hungry bees until the sun started setting. Then everyone drifted off and left us alone and happy. He put his arm around me, and we walked up to the house. When he pressed the blue button on the answering machine, it played four messages from four people who wanted us to build boats for them. My father wrote it all down. Then he stood up straight and looked at me very seriously. Then, all of a sudden, he jumped into the air and started dancing all around the house. I ran after him, leaping and bouncing and spinning while I whooped and hollered my lungs out. We danced up the stairs, through the bedrooms and bathrooms, then back down the stairs, around the living room, into the kitchen, and down the porch stairs onto the moist grass. We both fell flat on our backs and laughed for a long, long time. When we got quiet, my father said, You know how I feel, Jack? I shouted at the stars, Happy as a restaurant! A Candlelight Stories audio production. That's the end of our story. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get lots more MP3 audio, you can go to candlelightstories.com, and for $9.95, you can download lots of MP3 files and burn them onto CD if you want. That's candlelightstories.com. And if you can't remember that domain name, just do a search on Google and search for the term stories, and we should come right up on the first page for you. And also, you might want to stick with the Pirate Jack podcast, because I think I'm going to continue with a surprise next week. Thank you.